Nehemiah is always, is all about restoring and rebuilding. And, um, you know, I'd, I'd love to be like Solomon to have the wisdom and say, hey, this is, is how we rebuild, but I don't have that wisdom. I don't have that answer in myself. But I want to express from this series in Nehemiah that while I can't tell you how to rebuild and restore, how to restore relationships in your family, how to rebuild your life after, after grief or, or sickness or sin or whatever, what I can do and what I hope to do is point you to the one that can. When I don't have the answers, I know the one who does. I want to encourage you to go to God's word here in Nehemiah. And I, and I pray that the direction God has given me by the Spirit will, will help you in that. It's not my words, but his. I'm going to look at Nehemiah 2, 9-20. Then I came to the governors in the province beyond the rivers and, and gave them the king's letters. Now the king had sent me officers of the army and horsemen. But when Sanballat, uh, the Horonite, and Tobiah, the Ammonite servant, heard this, it displeased them greatly that someone had come to seek the welfare of the people of Israel. So I went to Jerusalem and was there three days. And then I arose in the night, I and a few men with me, and I told no one what God had put into my heart to do for Jerusalem. There was no animal with me but the one that I rode. I went out by night to the valley gate, to the dragon spring, to the gun gate, and I inspected the walls of Jerusalem that were broken and its gates that had been destroyed by fire. Then I went down to the fountain gate and to the king's pool, but there was no room for the animal that was under me to pass. And then I went up in the night to the, by the valley and inspected the wall, and I turned back and entered the valley gate, and so returned. And the officials did not know where I had gone or what I was doing. And I had not yet told the Jews, the priests, the nobles, the officials, and the rest who were to do the work. Then I said to them, You see the trouble we are in? How Jerusalem lies in ruins and its gates burned? Come, let us build the wall of Jerusalem, that we may no longer suffer derision. And I told them of the hand of my God that had been upon me for good, and also of the words that the king had spoken to me. And they said, let us rise up and build. That's the important part of this text, by the way. We're going to talk about that. Let us rise up and build. So they strengthened their hands for the good work. But then Sanballat, the Horonite, and and Tobiah, the Ammonite servant, and Geshem, the Arab, heard this, and, and they jeered at us and despised us, saying, What is this thing that you are doing? Are you rebelling against the king? Then I replied to them, The God of heaven will make us prosper, and his servants will arise and build. But you have no portion or right, or claim in Jerusalem. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. Father, for the witness of, of Nehemiah, of, of those who have come before us. Father, of all the stories that you've given us through, through Scripture. 
We thank you that it moves us forward in our faith and it teaches us about you and your good news. Father, let the words that I speak be tested by the same word and moved by your spirit. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let me just check here. I don't think I have that on. Um, Those words. Let us rise up and build. Let us rise up and build. Probably one of the most important words or, or, or few words in all of Nehemiah. Go. Go. That theme like if you if you ever really want something to see something amazing, go to the the, the scriptures, get your um, concordance, and look up the word "go," um, and see where that leads. See see how many times we are called to go, to to do, to move. We've spoken about the conviction. And, and that's what the first couple chapters here in, in Nehemiah were about. That, that conviction, that, that sorrow that Nehemiah felt. And I've, I've mentioned this verse the last few weeks. And this is the last time because we're, we're going in a different direction. But, but 2 Corinthians seven ten. And again, I've shared this a, a thousand times, but I really want you to listen carefully because there's another part to this that we haven't talked about. For godly grief... Godly sorrow produces repentance that leads to salvation without regret. So, yep, there's godly sorrow. There's godly grief. We get that. We've talked about that. Now the next part. Where does it lead? It goes somewhere. It doesn't just leave us in sorrow. It doesn't just leave us wallowing in the miry clay. Leads us to salvation. And again, here's that, that action word, leading us, moving us, changing us. So worldly sorrow, the rest of this text, leads to death. But it's that godly sorrow that leads to life, that leads to something next. It doesn't leave you where you are. It doesn't leave you in sorrow. Lead, move, go forward. Godly sorrow is not being stuck in the clay, in the miry clay, as David says. It's not being stuck in, in your shame. It's not being stuck in bro- broken relationships. It's not being stuck in sin. It's going to move you. Move you forward. You're going to be in a different place. So Nehemiah, he looked at the walls and, and he didn't just stand there. And, and, and we know last, last week and the week before he had this sorrow so much so that the king said, what is wrong with you? Why are you so sad? He didn't stay that way. That was an important step. He needed that to understand what was going on, but he didn't stay that way. He was upset about the state of things and he moved forward. He didn't just wallow in what was wrong but he saw a hope for what was right. Let me say that again. He didn't wallow in what was wrong, but he saw a hope for what was right. So what did he say after he examined the brokenness? Because all around him was brokenness. Things that needed to be restored. He said, let us rise up and build. He didn't go and say, oh, this is so terrible. You know those, those, those other guys, those, those, all the ites, 
it's, there are too many to, to list. But, but those other guys, they, they, look what they did to our city. Look what they keep doing. You know, they're, they're making fun of us. It's their fault. No, he, he didn't even focus on that. All he said was, let us rise up and build. You get that? Nehemiah looked at the brokenness. And, and his response was to say, let us rise up and build. How's that for application? When we look at our own life and we see that brokenness, when we look at our, our, our relationship with Jesus and we, and we feel that there's something not strong there, there's something that needs to move forward, what do we say? Let us rise up and build our relationships, our, our home, our, our whatever it might be. When we see that brokenness, we don't just stand there and wallow in the brokenness. We don't just get angry at everything around us in the brokenness. We don't just cry out about how upset we are. We say, let us rise up and build. So we needed to look at the brokenness. We, we, we've talked about that a lot, and, and, and I talk about that a lot. But, but, there's a time when God leads us out of that for a hope for restoration. So what did he do? He examined the walls. The first step was, was saying, hey, let's, let's stand up and build. But we got to know what we're rebuilding, Right? So he examined the walls. Verse 11 to, um, to 15. So I went to Jerusalem, and I was there three days. Then I arose in the night, I and a few men with me, and I told no one what my God had put into my heart to do for Jerusalem. There was no animal with me but the one which I rode. I went out by night to the valley gate, to the dragon spring, to the dun gate, and I expected the walls of Jerusalem and I saw that they were broken down. I'm going to leave it there because it keeps going on like that. And all the different places that he saw, there was brokenness. We start there, that God put this into his heart, first of all. This wasn't because of the people of Jerusalem. It wasn't because of what he wanted. It wasn't because of the king or, or Nehemiah's abilities. It was because God put that into his heart to get up Go and build. And, and to do that, he examined the walls. He found them broken. Um, so, you know, he could have said, look, I'm, I'm the cupbearer of the king. I got things to do. Uh, this is going to take too much time. This is too bad. Sorry for those folks in Jerusalem, but, but I'm going to move on. No, that's not where he left it. He examines the wall. And, and then... And then through that, he puts his faith in Jesus. He sees the brokenness, and he says, there is no way. Sorry, he puts his faith in God. And he, and he looks at the wall, and he sees the brokenness, and he says, there is no way that me, Nehemiah, just this simple cupbearer, is going to be able to fix this on my own. And so he admits that it was God's doing again. So what do we do? We want to rebuild and restore in our own lives. Our first reaction, like I said last week, is either to ignore it or to, or to blame others, stick our head in the sand or, or get angry at people. But the example of Nehemiah is to examine it first. 
What is the real problem? Often we don't do this because we're scared of the answer. Some of you, um, I might have had this conversation with you. I don't often go to the dentist. I'm deathly afraid of the dentist. Um, some very bad childhood experiences with braces and everything. And um, So if I have a toothache, I will do everything in my power to ignore it. <laughs> To, to, to make it so it doesn't hurt that much, so I don't have to go to the dentist. And I will never admit, especially not to Tracy, I can say that because she's not here, um, but I will never admit that I actually have a toothache because the last thing in the world that I want to do is go to the dentist. If I actually had that examined when that happens, I probably should have. That's what we often do. When we know there's a pain, when we know there's a brokenness, We find every single way we can to cover it up, to pretend like it's not there. And because we do that, we don't examine it. And we think that that's a a great thing. That's a great way of responding because we don't want to be negative, but then we miss the hope that can, can be fixed. We can't do that without examining what's broken first. One of the, one of the best ways that we can do that. Because we, we got to be able to know when something's broken. We have a standard to know when something is right. To know when something is, is going well. This is our standard. So we, we compare those areas of our life to the Word of God and we can see if something is broken. And then we have this hope in the same Word that it can be fixed. And that's where we find Nehemiah in hope. He saw the brokenness, and he saw hope. So often we th- see things that are, are broken, as, as Nehemiah saw those walls, and we, and we stew on it. But we never move forward. But Nehemiah saw hope, and he said, let us rise and build. Again, we, we see these things in our life that, isn't, that aren't working. But do we ever do something different to change that. Faith in Jesus is never about sitting, as I've said often. He calls us to go, therefore. You've got a broken relationship in your life. Go, therefore. Right? You're feeling disconnected with your Savior. Go, therefore. Jesus is an active Savior. He doesn't sit, and if we follow him, we're going to be moving too. If we're not, then we find ourselves stagnant. But it's not just about moving. It's looking at those broken things and asking God, where do you want to send me? Pick me up. Give me the tools so I can rebuild for your glory. I would imagine most of us could say this um, But I know for the most part, there are a lot of broken things in our lives, broken relationships, broken hopes, but the, but the broken plans, even. I've got a lot of those. But the greatest thing in our life that is, that is broken is our, our relationship with Christ. 
and it, and it, or with God. And, and it's broken because of our sin. And we see the brokenness. And we rise up and we say, let us rebuild. But then at the end of our text, Nehemiah says this. He's, he's got these guys, they're, they're making fun of him, Sanballat, Tobiah, Geshem. What's amazing here, if you read this, is that they are all from different places. So this isn't like one little group of bullies that come and, and, and pick on, on Israel. These guys are, are, are from three different countries. They've all come together. And they've all said, have you, have you heard what, what Nehemiah is doing in, in Israel? And, and they go and they, they, they mock him and they despise him. And this is where Nehemiah's greatest hope lies. It's not just, not just knowing it can be rebuilt. It's, it's who's going to rebuild it. And this is where his faith comes in. He says, Then I replied to them, The God of heaven will make us prosper. And we, his servants, will rise and build. But you have no portion or right or claim in Jerusalem. He says, The God of heaven will make us prosper. Notice that. The, the, these guys are, are, are making fun of him, despise him, despising him. And they say, What are you doing? Are you rebelling against the king? Now, if, if, when I was reading that, um, the first time I ever read that, I was thinking, well, he's, he's just gonna explain, no, here's my letter from the king. I've got permission. We remember that in, in, in chapter one. He had permission. He could have just said, hey, look, no, no, guys, it's all right. I've got permission from the king. But in this, he acknowledges it's not the king that's allowing him to do this. Even though, yeah, sure, he, he got the, the letters from the king and the king was all on board with it. It wasn't the king. He said it was the God of heaven that will make him prosper. When we have that brokenness, it's not just about fixing the thing, but it's actually about moving beyond and, and growing even further. God had plans for Jerusalem. That's why it, it, the, the walls needed to be rebuilt. And all of this is pointing to Christ and his, and his, and his sacrifice on the cross and the good news. But we can take this as well and look at Nehemiah and his faith, his willingness to, to move, his willingness to examine the problem and his willingness to lay it at the feet of the sovereignty of God. And he acknowledges in the end of all of this that over the brokenness, and this we can say for our own lives, over all the brokenness, God is sovereign and he is a good and loving and gracious and just God. And he's shown that all through the cross. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you are God not just over the peaceful times or the peaceful things. You are God not just over the joyous times or the joyful things. You are God over the brokenness as well. And you are sovereign above all of it. Father, we thank you for your son Jesus that you have repaired through him our broken relationship with you. 
Father, the, those other areas of our, our lives where, where we want to rise up and build, give us the strength to do that. That we can examine what, what, what's really broken and that we can stand up, not just sitting there staring at the brokenness, but stand up and move as you lead us. Father, we ask all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.